Okay, now we are in a series. We're in this series of what it is to become stronger in faith deeper in prayer and bolder in witness. Now, this is not a slogan. It's not just a beautiful piece of art. This is something of an invitation from the Lord to us as Wellspring Church. This is to us individually, but us collectively, that we get to go on this journey together and become stronger in our faith, less tossed around by the waves and the challenges that come, that we get to be deeper in prayer, where we know that we know that we're connecting, where we feel like our prayers are effective, not just kind of going out into cyberspace of nothingness and are you out there, Lord? No, where we're actually so deep in prayer that the intimacy with the Lord is so real, so tangible, and we can grow in our confidence. Who wants to grow in the confidence of prayer life to know that we are actually connecting? And also to be bolder in witness where we can, yes, share on the streets, but also share around those t- dinner time table conversations with family or friends or colleagues when you know you want to say something, but you just are swallowing the words back because you just can't quite get the courage to say what you really want to say about the beautiful name of Jesus. So this is, this is not a slogan. This is an invitation. This is a call to become who the Lord has called and created us in advance to be. And if you are a wellspringer, this is our journey. And right now, we're specifically in the deeper in prayer part. Now, this doesn't you know, start and finish, right, job done, move on, now let's become bold. This is a whole process. They're all entwined. But in order to help ourselves, we're kind of breaking it down and serving it kind of meal by meal. Last week, um, if you were connecting online or here in person, Tim was speaking about lament, such an important, important lesson for us to understand the power and the gift of our tears. The power of authentically coming into the presence of the Lord, not that we're ever out of his presence, but when we actively choose to come into his presence and authentically say how we feel, what is going on, rather than, oh, I'm fine, Lord, thanks for asking. You know, none of this politeness, you know, we don't have to be rude, but but we don't have to kind of fake it. We can come as we are. And so if you didn't hear last week's message, I really encourage you. It all lives there on our website. You can, you can click and download it. You can listen to it several times if you really want, until you memorize it, until it really gets into your heart. But I want to encourage you because lament is important. Now, today... In our deeper in prayer kind of journey, we're not looking so much at lament, although there might be some tears. Um, We're looking at what it is when we have to fight in the place of prayer. Have you ever been in one of those experiences where your prayers are not immediately answered in the way that you'd like, and you feel you have to wrestle in? Or when stuff is going on around you that is so difficult, you feel like you are literally navigating your way through a minefield of traps, of battles, of difficulties, of complexities, of challenges. I'm so sorry, I've got hair in my mouth. It's really irritating me. Ah, all solved, thank you. We could delete that out, but we're live. So, <laughs> so it stays there forever. Me and my mistakes and my molting. <laughs> okay, so I've done it again. Um, so we, we're looking at what it is to battle, you know, with your hair, but battle in the place of faith. Not just about persevering, because we all know that sometimes there's challenges where you just have to persevere, right? You just have to keep turning up. But this is about when things are really, really difficult. Now, today we know is Pentecost Sunday. That day in the diary 
that we can remember so much of the history of the Israelites that came to this moment because they were gathered for the Pentecost festival, but they came in this moment where the Holy Spirit came into the room of the disciples who were waiting, who were praying. Jesus had resurrected and he'd said, wait until the Spirit comes and they were waiting and then the Spirit came and oh my gosh, when the Spirit came, the transformation, the boldness, the growth of the church, the spilling out onto the streets of the Holy Spirit, there was an uncontainableness is that a word? Uncontainableness of the Holy Spirit and the disciples and everything changed forever. Now, we are not going to look specifically at that story, as obvious as that would be to do on Pentecost Sunday. But when we're coming to battles, there's something that happened a little bit earlier, just over three years earlier, when Jesus shows us what it is to battle in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And that's where we're going to go today. And In essence, I'll just give you the ending before we get there. The essence of what I want you to get out of today, if you get nothing else, is to think of the battleground in terms of word and spirit. We love to think of the spirit, especially on Pentecost Sunday, but we love to think of the spirit because the spirit is kind of, no offense meant, Lord, but the quick fix. Like when the Holy Spirit comes and does something in power, everything can be sorted out immediately. So we love that. But there's something I want you to get today about the Word and the Spirit coming together. And it is in that dynamic that we're going to press in. And if you want a title, if you're a note taker or you just love titles or you want to know what you're looking for when you look online to find it again, to think, what was she saying? I got confused by the hair. Um, It is about becoming deeper in prayer in order to become victorious in order to be victorious. Now, for those of you who have journeyed with me, you'll be very astute, you'll recognise immediately a book title. So I'm just going to talk to you about Be Victorious for just a moment. Um, Be Victorious is a devotional, 40-day devotional, that journeys with Jesus in the wilderness. And this enables us to understand the battle that Jesus faced over a period of 40 days, battle after battle after battle, not just one bad day. We're talking 40 days of challenge. And this is a devotional. Why? Because it's, it's good to get into the Word of God. It is good to get into the Word of God on a daily basis. It is good to be able to recognize um, when the Word comes together with the Spirit. So if you go to our website, you can get your own version of this if you've not got it already. And you can do a 40-day journey with Jesus through the wilderness. And today we're going to do a little snapshot. Um, I'll reference some of that's in there. If you know the stories, you might be able to pick them up. But I'm not going to reference much because you can just go get the book. And do that in your own time every day. But today, thank you for the record. He said it was very good. Um, So listen, today we're going to be looking at Word and Spirit. So before we jump too much into the actual wilderness story, I think it's important that we understand what the Word of God is. I know that might sound a weird question. You could ask, well, it's it's the Bible, Helen. It's a book of books, Helen. Yes, it is. It really is. But I want us to just listen to how the Word introduces itself to us. How the word tells us about what it is and what it isn't. And there are four quick scriptures I want to reference as the word of God introduces itself to us. These are the verses. Now in Psalm 119, verse 105, this is how the word describes itself here. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. If you've ever tried to walk in a dark place, Oh, the wonders of mobile phones. You get your own personalized torch. 
that you can just work out where you're walking. The word of God says it is a light to light our path in dark times, because you only need lights in darkness, right? So when we don't know where we're walking because it's so dark, the word of God is a light. It's important that we remember that. Also, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. This is how the word introduces itself this time. All scripture is inspired by God. Some version says God breathed. Like God breathed into Adam and brought him to life with his life. So God has breathed into the scriptures and brings it alive to us, which makes it not only a historical document, but a current living word of God. So all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Do you know, this is a challenge in our days when everyone has their own truth. This is my truth. I'm just going to share my truth. Now, we know what people mean when we say that. What they mean is I just want to share my experience and my perspective. But we limit ourselves with understanding because we've got one vocabulary word for perspective and experience. And in saying this is my perspective and experience, we say this is my truth. But actually, it gets a bit confusing because truth is truth. It's not just relative to somebody's experience. Whereas here in Timothy, we're understanding that God's word is breathed and will teach us what is true. Not necessarily what your experience is. You might not find that in here. But it will tell you what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Oh, that's uncomfortable. Well, we'll just merge you over that one. Um, It teaches us what is wrong in our lives. Ow! David uses this illustration. You might have heard it before. If not, he'll use it again because it's a good one. Do use it again. You know, dust it off every now and then. He uses the illustration of the word of God being like a mirror. You know, as you leave the house, you might look in a mirror just to check everything is in order. You know, zips in the right way and all these important things. Um, Well, you know, if something is out of order, you don't adjust the mirror, right? You don't say, mirror, you are wrong. I must look better than that. I'm just going to adjust the mirror. No, you adjust yourself in light of the mirror. And this is the word of God. It corrects us when we're wrong. We don't change the word of God. Oh, you just don't make me look good. Change. No, 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 no. We align with this beautiful book. I'm on the introduction. We'll get to the preaching in a minute. But so here we go. It teaches us, it corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. Have you ever wondered what to do in a situation? I don't know what to do. Well, maybe there's a clue in the word. Teaches us what to do, what is right. God uses us to, it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So before we do any good work, the word will help us prepare for it. It won't tell us what to think so much as how to think in order to be ready for good works. Is that good? Also, there's another description of the word introducing itself to us. This is in Ephesians. This is in when Paul is talking about the armor of God, and he describes, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He weaponizes the word of God as a sword, not one for, you know, human battles and, you know, chopping off heads and things like that, because it's all within the context of our enemy is not flesh and blood, but is in the spiritual realm. So this is a spiritual sword. It is not something I won't, that is going to chop a head off. We don't bash people with it like a physical weapon. It is a word of God, a spiritual sword for fighting our spiritual enemies. 
The final one I want to bring to your attention for the word introducing itself to us is from Hebrews. Again, another sword illustration. The writer to Hebrews says this, For the word of God is alive, because God breathed, is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This is not just a sword, it's a double edged sword whichever way you are wielding it against your enemy you can do harm to your enemy and experience victory if we just understand the power that is in our hands so often this sticks sits on our shelves and gathers dust or sits there as this sort of reminder oh I should have read it oh well never mind I don't have time or sits on our phone in an app that we so rarely open. And yet, we have this weapon, this guide, this light, this power available to us. Have you ever been in a dark place? Have you ever had dark thoughts? Have you ever been in a context where you don't know what to do? The choices are so many and so often out beyond your reach and you don't know what to do. Have you ever felt like you've been in a battle? Have you ever tried to break an addiction? Have you ever tried to bring in good habits? Have you ever tried to heal a relationship? Have you ever tried to get out of bed and have motivation for the day? Have you ever been given a medical diagnosis that is so bleak and so gruelling and so chronic and so terminal that you do not know which way to turn because death seems the only option? Have you ever been so confused yearning for clarity because nothing makes sense. Have you ever had to go so deep in prayer that the word of God becomes your lifeline? You know, Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy Spirit fell on all the disciples, there was this instant power upgrade. And our vision here in the church is to see communities transformed by Jesus' love to see our lives transformed by Jesus' love, our individual lives transformed by Jesus' love, to see our families transformed by Jesus' love, to see our workplaces transformed by Jesus' love, to see our neighbourhoods and our communities, our grow groups, our friendship circles, everything transformed by the love of Jesus. So we're going to look to Jesus to see, okay, Lord, if you're the one doing the transformational work in us, we're going to take your example, Lord, for how you have battled the things you've battled. And I can tell you, Jesus had to battle everything. Everything. Everything we've ever battled. Now, it was personalised into the context of his day, so he never had to choose between, I don't know, Tesco and Asda, but he had to choose between things. He had to battle everything that is known to people. He has been there. So if you have your Bible... Hilarious to say that on a day when I'm talking about the word, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, I have... Don't feel guilty... Just remember to find it afterwards. Um, If you've got your Bible, we're going to look at the version in Luke's Gospel of Jesus' 
journey through the wilderness where he was tempted. Now, in Be Victorious, I used Matthews. And Matthews has always been my favorite, if I'm honest. I don't know why. But whenever ever I've preached on um, anything to do with the wilderness experience of Jesus, I've always gone to Matthew's gospel. But actually, I'm choosing Luke because there's something in Luke that is really important, just a tiny little nod to something that I want us to capture today because I think the Father wants to reveal something fresh to us. He revealed it fresh to me, so I'm just going to share it. And... Um, You don't need to pretend it's fresh to you, but it was fresh to me. So we're going to Luke. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke 4. Now, to put it in the context before we get to 4, chapter 4 will come up on the screens for you. But before we have that, at the end of chapter 3, we've got the bit where Jesus was baptised. Do you remember that bit where he goes to the River Jordan and he's there and his cousin is there and his cousin's like, oh, no, I can't do it. And he says, yes, you must. And so he gets baptised by his cousin. At the end of this baptism bit, while John's probably still going, oh, my gosh, I've just baptised Jesus, um, you have this bit where the Holy Spirit comes physically, tangibly present like a dove. Comes. Now, this isn't a scary, you know, bombing by a bird that everyone's going, oh, my gosh, what's going on? This is a gentle descent of the Holy Spirit in physical form that could be visibly seen enough to be able to capture this story. And the, the Holy Spirit comes and there's a voice from heaven that says, you are my dearly loved son and bring me joy. This is like, you know, parents when they've just had a baby and they look at the baby and the baby's done nothing and they immediately go, wow, I love you. You make me so happy. You bring me such joy. This is Jesus before his ministry begins. And publicly, the Heavenly Father is saying, you bring me joy before he's done anything in terms of a public ministry. He's having this massive affirmation moment. Now, interestingly, and I think this is fantastic, Luke then immediately jumps into the genealogies. He immediately wants to show Jesus in context of the human birth descent of this person from this person from this person to this man. Oh, look, Jesus, Adam, here we go. And he makes this human link. But the most important thing is it came after the heavenly father announced, you're my son. You know, for us today, one of the challenges is in our families Some of our battles come down families and in families and our relationships and they're contested. And I just want to encourage you, if that is you today and there's a battlefield going on that's family related, you are first and foremost a child of God. You might carry the genetic DNA and the surname and the names and you might look like them or sound like them or never have met them. The point that Luke just brings out, and I just want to just nod to today, is first and foremost, our identity is made in God, by God, through God, for God. Then the rest follows. So anyway, so jump to chapter four now. Okay, I'm just going to read it, 14 verses. Are you ready? Let's go. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the Wilderness. That's important. The Spirit led him in there. The Holy Spirit, the same one who affirmed him, led him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Understatement of the year right there. I sort of struggle between breakfast and lunch. Do you know what I mean? So he's going 40 days. He was very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say People do not live by bread alone. 
Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it to you, all to you, if you will worship me. Jesus replied, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. There is so much amazing stuff in this one passage. Jesus, the Spirit on him, led by the Spirit, so the Spirit was ahead of him, went into the wilderness, and there he faced battle after battle after battle. He was hungry and exhausted. Now, let's be honest about how we face our battles. Sometimes they're outside of us. They're relationally. They're in the dynamic around us. We we feel bombarded. Other times it's in our thought life, right? Often our relationship with God, the way we hear God speak, is in our own voice, in our head. Often the way we hear the enemy speak, the tempting thoughts, is in our own voice, in our head. There is a battleground that kind of goes with us wherever we take our head. Don't leave your head behind, that would be weird. But wherever we take our head, so our battles go with us. Jesus was journeying through the wilderness, bombarded in his thought life by thought after thought after thought that was out to get him, to destroy him. And interestingly, everything he was tested in tests us. So he was tested in the provision. He was tested in his own promotion. He was tested in his own protection. So he was tested in provision. He was hungry. Well, fix your own needs, says the enemy. But Jesus knew that his provider was the Lord. He wasn't going to fix his own need. And this is a challenge still to us. So many of our battles are when we try to fix the problem ourselves without relying on the Lord. If we're honest, it is us trying to fix it without realizing the weapon we have, the strength we have, the torch we have to show us where to walk. We're just fumbling around in the dark. And he's saying, no, come on, I can show you. Just slow down and ask me. Slow down and listen. Jesus was tempted by the devil who offered him all the kingdoms that he could see. It's ridiculous. They were already Jesus's. He was already the Lord of all things. But yet what the enemy was trying to do was kind of entice him into this promotion of self-fulfillment, of fame for fame's sake. You know, that's a challenge. The pull of fame. I'll get everyone to notice you. No, you missed the point. I'm here to display the glory of the Lord. Jump off from this height. You know, as I prayerfully journeyed through this, 
in these recent days, I wondered if, if we were articulating it these days, this was a suicidal thought. You see, the enemy was saying to Jesus, if you jump off, you won't be hurt. But he was fully human. Fully God, but fully human. So he would have jumped off and he would have died. In the same way that when he went to the cross for all of us to take our sins, he died. He was fully human. So was this dark moment in the wilderness for Jesus what we would say is a suicidal thought? I'm going to end it. Life is so bad. If you don't catch me, I'm out of here. Now, I might be making a stretch of the scriptures and the theologians out there might be going, get her down. The point is, Jesus was in a really dark space. He was in a really difficult time. And he used the word of God as his weapon. So the enemy was taking scriptures and twisting them. He was misappropriating scriptures. But Jesus was bringing the right context and applying it correctly and wielding the word of God with such a dexterity and a confidence that he silenced the enemy every time. Until at the end of all this, the gospel writers say the enemy left him until the next opportunity. Because another opportunity was going to come, but it wasn't going to come for a while. Because the enemy realized Jesus knew the word of God. Now, here's a challenge for us. And this is a bit uncomfortable. If you don't want to hear, just go la, 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 la for a minute. This is a challenge. Jesus, don't sing la, la, la in here. Because they still need to hear me. In your mind, just go la, 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 la if you don't want to hear that point. Um, So this is the challenge. Jesus was a rabbi. Now, we don't all have to become rabbis, but we need to know something about what a rabbi does and did to be able to understand how Jesus could so wield this with great confidence and dexterity and draw the right scripture to face in that moment and to turn the light on where he was going to walk and to wield it against the unclarity, to bring clarity, separating, you know, all the things. The reason is he was a rabbi. He learnt by heart the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible as we understood it. Jesus could recite them. Now, you know, I I can recite the titles of the books, go me, but as for, you know, after I go and God saw it was very good, I begin to go, I don't know what came next. Jesus could recite them. And this, of course, is why we prefer to talk about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit can come and just supernaturally do anything in a moment, and it's quick and it's instant, and he's doing it, and all glory to him, and we haven't had to put much effort in other than being available for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But to know the word, this takes time. This takes turning up. This takes turning it on or turning it over. This takes discipline. This takes those moments where we're bleary-eyed in the morning and we're just going to read it, even though it feels really boring in that moment, but we want to stay connected. This takes us to the moments where it's all just so coming alive and we, we just want to stay there for longer, but we've got to go to work or we'll get the sack, so we have to put it down and say, okay, I've, I've got to come back to this. I'm going to have to fix the time to come back to this. Jesus knew the word of God. How well do you know the word of God? So if you were diagnosed with something that is terminal, what does the word of God say to that? If you were sacked 
from your job when you thought this was where you were called to be? What does the word of God say to that? If your neighbour refuses to talk to you, even though you've just been nothing but nice, what does the word of God say to that? If your dreams have not been fulfilled, what does the word of God say to that? See, if we don't know, we just don't know. Then we just pick something out of context and try and make it fit, which is like adjusting the mirror to make us look better instead of bringing ourselves in line with the word of God. It's a challenge, isn't it? I need to come into land. So, Johnny, do you want to come up and help make sure I come into land? Because when he starts singing, you know, if I haven't landed, I'll be unmiked. <laughs> I believe that the Lord wants to show us the power of his word working with his spirit in our deepening place of prayer to bring us to a place where we know victory. Now, this is not the same as having an easy life. This is journeying through the wildernesses, facing the battles with Jesus. Now, the bit in Luke that I wanted to draw your emphasis to or draw attention to, Jesus had the spirit land on him, literally. The spirit was on him. We might refer to that as an anointing where there's a grace on someone's life and you just think, wow, look what God is doing in spite of that person. You know, the Holy Spirit lands and anoints. The beginning of Luke's in chapter four, he says he was also full of the Holy Spirit because in that moment, the Holy Spirit was so full in Jesus. He was led by the Spirit. And then after the battle, after this 40 days, one version says the angels came to care for him, which is amazing. But then it says this in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. My friends, if you want to know power of the Holy Spirit in your life, follow the Holy Spirit in your days. Be willing to go into battle. Be willing to follow wherever he leads you. And be willing to allow the word of God to speak to you and through you.